How are you all? Great. It's good to see you. Uh, my brother was here last month. For those of you who saw him, he's headed out to Poland tomorrow. And uh, part of his, his ministry is focused in Southeast Asia, but they have a lot of ministry partners like what we just saw as well um, in Ukraine. And so he's headed to Poland, so I appreciate your prayers for him. We, even though my, my, um, my mom passed away last fall, my brother and I have this verbiage that we use. Is this one of those things that we don't tell mom? You know, so it's like, this is a don't tell mom thing. I mean, we started that, let's be honest, as young kids. If you tell mom, you're going to get it. That was their threat to me. But as we got into ministry, we we're like, yeah, this is a don't tell mom kind of thing. So I'd appreciate your prayers for him. And I reminded him that he is a pacifist. <laughs> he said, yes, I will not forget that, Dale. So anyways, so I appreciate your prayers for him. I have a list of things that I call things I never learned in seminary. And that list continues to grow and grow. And even though now I get an opportunity to teach a little bit of seminary, I try to infuse some things into there, what uh, they may need to know. And one of those things, um, though my education was never against organizational health, it never really talked about organizational health. We talked a lot about how Christians should treat each other, how the church should treat each other, but actually how when you are in the same like work environment, Right? How things work out and how, what is healthy, what is not healthy. In the past decade or so, I kind of immersed myself into a lot of those things. In the last four years, I was really into that and really trying to understand. And one of the things that I have seen, now whether this be a secular organization or a Christian organization, may or may not even be true for your organization, how things work with you because you have different kinds of structures, is that we often make it harder on each other. Meaning, we're trying to do something, leave as a church or within your organization, that you're trying to do something to hopefully better our world or to produce a product. And most of the time, the issues that we have are the people that we're working with or the people that we're working for. So we often work against ourselves. And there's been a lot of books that have come out that are talking about how to be a great manager, meaning how do you lead other people? I haven't found as many books about how to follow people. And so the weight of responsibility in a lot of organizations is on the manager. They have expectations of those who are above us. If they do this, if they do this, if they take care of this, then my life will be easier. One of the things that I immerse myself in the past couple years is trying to talk with people about what is your role in helping your manager be the very best that they can be. And they're like, what do you mean? It's their job to provide for me. They make more money than me, so therefore they should feel the weight. And I would say to them, that is true. Maybe they make more money than you. And managing people is a heavier weight. But are you doing things for them that make them want to do things for you? And they would just look at me. I said, is it possible that if you treat somebody with honor or respect or like that you actually care, they may return that without even knowing. They may treat you with care and respect and honor. Years ago, I started coaching football. One of the things I realized as a young coach, if I'm constantly sharing my feelings with the referees, there comes a point. That was a very kind way of saying, I'm just making, I just made observations. It looks like you missed that. 
not super proud of it, but one time the referee, you know, we're, we're having a disagreement about something, and, and um, he looked at me and said, it's not like you're out there playing. Yeah. So in that moment, I'm like, well, there's three kinds of people. There are those who played, there are the players. There are those who played, so now they coach, and those who did neither one referee. <laughs> he laughed. He goes, just the fact, I almost threw my flag, but I laughed. So you're off the hook for now. And I'm like, whew. But one of the things I realized is that if I'm not trying to pull the best of somebody else out, if I'm by not being kind to myself, how can I expect anything different out of them? Now, narcissism kicks in, of course, and some people will just take every niceness that you have. I'm not addressing that person per se. But I'm dressing the kind of generosity of care, no matter who you are, where you are, what kind of, where your place is in an org chart or the family of God or even at home. Are you helping someone be a better version of themselves? I'd have this conversation a lot with my daughter growing up. Babe, the current conversation we're having isn't really pulling the best out of me. In fact, we got to a point where like no questions after nine o'clock. We moved that up, eight o'clock. So I'm like, you're not gonna get a great version of me. One time she asked me a question late at night and she says, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. And I said, babe, the sun already went down. I have a good 24 hours of wrath. You're like, I don't think I wanna hear this from my pastor. You are anyways. You're like, what? Never mind. The principle is this, when you trust people or treat people with honor or value, they tend to act honorable and valuable. Makes you think, what have people done for me? You're gonna hear a lot of stories and different things about my life because I, I think it's important to invite you into that. And even though I told you a story about Lisa's classroom last week, I have another one today. This has nothing to do with the kids. Often in our life, her as a teacher, there's things that we need to do on the weekend. Hey, can we stop by the classroom, do X, Y, and Z, and then we'll go on with our day. I don't remember when this was. Years ago, we pop into her classroom, and there seemed to be one of the tables or desks that was closer to her desk than the other ones. And in my naiveness, I'm like, oh, is that like a special prize they get? Like they get to be closer to the teacher. In her beautiful, kind way, she says, no, those are for students who might need a little extra attention to keep them on track like to help them become the people they want to be one day, like that little hard focused. It kind of blew my mind, and I'll tell you why in a second. I asked her the question, um, what does it mean when your desk actually touches the teacher's desk? Because that was my reality for a couple of years in school. My desk <laughs> literally touched the teacher's desk. She's like, I've never had one of those, thank God. And I can look back to some elementary years where my desk touched Mr. Jones's desk. And for the first time, I look back and I'm like, Mr. Jones was a great man because he helped me think this was actually a privilege to be that close to him. And there was times he would just tap on my desk. Dale, yes. He also wrote on my report card one time, Dale thinks everybody needs to hear what he has to say. That's why I'm a pastor. I never knew my direction. I thought it was like a compliment. My parents were like, you need to talk less in school. 
no, Mr. Jones said. But when I paused for a moment, and it really was a realization, you, can, you could ask Lisa, is that a true story? She'll be like, oh, yeah. Like, he had this light bulb moment of like, oh, maybe that wasn't good. But I can look back at him and go, there was a man who treated me, not with honor, I was nine, but he treated me with a kind of love and respect, just like, I'm going to help you be who you really want to be anyways. You see, there's a mutual thing that when we pour out to somebody else, now there is breaks in that relationship. Like I said, there's narcissism and there's hurt and there's people who just will take and take and take. But there's also a response to when we fully understand that somebody else has poured into us. What is my response back to them? During the season of Lent, we are slowly and hopefully patiently going through some of these verses that I think are just so foundational for us. They're a sort of a creed in, you, in a way, a way of saying things that are reminding us the very core and foundation of our faith. It's this kind of awareness of each other and of what Christ did to, for us that Paul is connecting the Philippians to this. Last week's verse, and in adding this week, says this. Philippians 2, just 5 and 6. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Today's focus. Who? Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Let me just prepare you. That phrase is loaded. You may have read that before. You may have said, oh, this is just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't fully understand. That is a loaded phrase. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for my family, your church here. I thank you for everyone who's here present that I can see their face. I thank you for those watching and those in the traditional service. I just am thankful for that, God. Help us understand. Help me not to get in the way. Help us see what Jesus gave. In your name, amen. So allow me a few minutes just to help us understand this statement. You, if you've been going to church for a while, you probably have heard many pastors or speakers say, in the original Greek, this means this. And some of you may go, what in the world does that have to do with anything? The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And there are certain words within Greek that don't have the same reference point as English, especially modern day. So we'll take modern day words. Often when we read the Bible, if you read the Bible, we'll take the words there and put them into our modern day context. Sometimes it's helpful to say this is what they originally meant. As a part of hermeneutics, which is a way of understanding words or understanding context, there's something that's really important. We always want to ask ourselves, what did the original author mean and what did the original audience understand? That's always going to give us a roadmap for where we go. So over the many, many years ahead of us, if I say, well, in the original Greek it says this, I am not trying to validate my preparation. I'm not trying to validate my education. I'm simply trying to use some words that may not have the same reference point as us in English to see if we have a better understanding. Unless I have a really bad week, and then I'm just going to impress you with my knowledge, which will last about seven minutes. <laughs> so, 
Verse 6 is a significant verse, and it needs to be built on over the next few weeks. The first word is this. See that word nature? I think it's behind me. Nature. Nature in Greek is the word morphe. And the English has no exact equivalent to this, but it's important to understand. We don't have a consistent way of saying it. It's actually like a philosophical term that means the outward expression of an inner essence or an inner reality, an inner truth. It's an identity. It's not just what you think about yourself. It's actually who you are. My inner essence is I am human. I am not anything else. I am human. That's who I am. So and what this is saying is the morphe, the inner essence of him, is morphe. And then it combines it with something. It combines it with God, morphe theo. In his inner essence, he is God. Okay, you're like, I've already known this. Pause for a sec. The letter to the Philippians was written just a few decades after the life of Christ. It was written before the Gospels were written. So for some people, the original audience would have heard, if they hadn't heard it before, Paul is declaring, have the same mindset as somebody who is literally God. That's a loaded statement. It is a full statement. So Paul's words of being in very nature God, Theo, his inner essence is God. Preview to next week. The next phrase also says he took on the nature of a servant. So he became fully God, fully man, which is another loaded statement. We'll get there next week. So therefore, we on earth have this outward expression of his inmost being. So meaning this, being very nature of God. Being very nature of God indicates that it began in the past and continues on. Hold on. So, Paul's statement. Hang in there with me. It's just an important foundational thing. And I want you to hear what the original audience would have heard. His being, it's a word that means it began in the past and continues on. So in this statement, he said, this guy Jesus, who you know about, began long before his being was being God, and that thing continues on long past. So he's saying this thing, that he was God long before, and he will continue to be God. He didn't stop being God when he came to earth. It continued. But there was a choice that he had to make. Paul means that when the one who became Jesus came to earth to assume the form of man, he did not cease being God. There's another word here, and this is the one that is incredibly moving if you allow it to be, the word consider. And this is why I think it's important to to stop and go, what does this mean? If I was to say to you in modern English, will you consider going? It's often we take it uh, in light of like, well, do I want to go? Like, do I have plans? Am I too big? I'll, I'll consider going. I have some friends. I'm like, hey, you want to go to lunch? I'll, I'll consider it. That seems kind of like a brutal thing to say, like, oh, if I'm worthy. They say that also even knowing they can't go, but I'll consider that. I think one time I used that phrase to my mom. Not a great phrase. <laughs> Dale, I need you to do this. I'll consider that. Whew. I was a teenager. I think I actually said, hey, mom, I'll keep that in mind. 
well, you can keep it in mind when you go to your room. And I'm like, but I'm 17, and I'm your mother. That's Mother's Day. Enjoy it. <laughs> Consider. It's the Greek main meaning of this. It's to make a judgment based on facts. It's like a legal thing. A judge has presented a case. A judge doesn't go to the chambers and just go, how do I feel about this? They take the literal case that's ahead of them or that they've heard and then make a decision based on that. That's what that word is. So Jesus, Theo, fully God, in his inner, inner essence, fully God, he always was from being, then he considers. Pause for a second. What does it do how do you respond? I pretend to say, not, not just how do you feel, but I don't care about that. I mean, how do you feel? That someone who was always God stopped and paused and considered something on your behalf. Because what was he considering? He was considering whether he wanted to continue in the present state of Morphetheo, his presence with God, his inner essence, that all the freedom that he had, and he was considering what would it take for you to be with him? What would it take to conform himself, to make himself smaller, to put himself in a containment of flesh for you? Now, we don't really know the heavenly conversation that took place, but what the Spirit revealed to Paul is that Jesus made an intentional choice based on the facts to let go of the posture for another posture. He chose to change his outer ex uh, expression for a position to benefit all of us. If you stop, this is the most amazing act of generosity I have ever seen. I've ever heard. When we're the receiving ends of somebody else's generosity, unless you're just incredibly entitled, if somebody does something that is so generous, it probably moves you a little bit. Generosity is an interesting thing. I think generosity is choosing to give something you have to someone else for the benefit outside of yourself. Generosity. We get a little mixed up. I think one of the fallacies around generosity, and I'm not just talking finances, though that's a part of it. I'm talking about your time, the things you have, who you are. One of the fallacies that we all can have is that one day when I have more, I will become generous. What you do when you say that, you've taken it out of a place of your heart, you've taken it out of a place of a value, and put it onto something that when I have extra, then I'll give. That is not generosity. That's something else. And when we have this identity of like one day, because the generosity and the mindset that God is asking us to have is that I'm willing to let go outside of myself. One day after a staff meeting, years ago here, me and the staff were walking out of the room and we saw one of our wonderful people out in the parking lot sweeping the parking lot. He may still sweep the parking lot. He came on his own time, did, was cleaning up, and one of the staff people looked at me and said, I want to be like him when I'm older. 
So in that moment, I'm like, what do you think it's going to take to be like him? You know, just lots of free time. But I'm pretty sure in order to be like him later, you need to start being like him now. You may not have as much free time as you will have then, but generosity comes from a place of the condition of our hearts. It comes from a place, from a mindset of who God is asking us to be. Paul, in his personal mentoring of Timothy, in one of his letters to Timothy, is talking around generosity, and he connects it to something so important, contentment. It says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it, Timothy. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a, and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul is shooting it straight with Timothy. And what I want us to start hearing and building on is that there's this thing, contentment. Contentment. Contentment isn't just, man, if I just had more, what would my life be like? Though it's fun to dream and it's fun to see those kinds of things, it really is a lot more about asking, what can I do with what I currently have? Contentment also is, what could I do if I chose to have less? Who would I be? Paul says there's a deep connection between the generosity of Christ and contentment. Contentment sees outside of yourself. These are strong, clear words, and Paul was writing from a place of deep perspective. See, we all need to understand contentment, and we also all need to understand what are the enemies of contentment. I'm a big fan of identifying those very things that are actually fighting against me and understand them and give them nothing more to, to do with my life. It's the idea of choosing to change. Choosing to change. Sometimes we drift into change. We don't often drift into very good things. I've never seen a ship drift into port. Usually drifts over waterfalls, into rocks, into cliffs. You don't usually hear news reports like, wow, the ship drifted into port. It's no, there was a huge accident. But when we steer and intentionally do things, not out of an act of strength and will, but following very clear things that God has laid out for us, choosing to change. See, there's a huge difference to be proactive and reactive. There's a parable that I read. It goes like this. There was a school built on a prestigious cliffs. I mean, imagine like these cliffs with an amazing view of the ocean. Maybe like West Cliff over in, in Santa Cruz. There's, just, just, there's nothing blocking the view, so they built a school there. This is a parable, so just hang on. It had an amazing view, beautiful buildings. It had an engaging vision, the best teachers and motivated students. The problem was this. Because the view was so amazing, they didn't build a barrier, and kids kept falling off the cliff and hurting themselves during recess. So the board got together and did what boards do. They said, we only have two choices, and their choices were this, in their minds. Do we just put an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff so we can help each kid immediately when they fall over? This seemed like very loving and responsive. Like once they get hurt. 
The other option was this. Or do we build a fence so that the kids stop falling off the cliff? We have to give up a bit of the view, but what's the greater value? We're not going to discuss this. In fear, some of you are like, that ambulance option seems pretty good. Now, there are times, maybe while we're building the fence, there should still be an ambulance at the bottom, but in the long term, the responsive thing is to be caring and to provide. The reactive thing is like it's inevitable. I want what I want. I want this view, so we'll just do this. Choosing to change might be initiated by a reactive response, but it moves to a proactive response. Let's build a fence. When I talk about choosing to change, just pause for a sec. Are there things you're proactively doing that bring you to a better place? Or are you drifting through life just reacting and responding? It is true that things happen to us that we cannot predict. But what are we carrying into those situations? The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah lays a pretty clear comparison about two different kinds of people. He writes this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. His analogy is this. There's two plants sitting in a wilderness. One looks just like the wilderness. And one, for some reason, looks incredibly different than everything else around it. One is like the man who just relies on the justification and groupthink of what seems right to everybody else. He's repeating the things that he has heard. See, this mark of self-trust, that you can do it yourself, is just out of convenience. It is a life built on convenience, on what's around it, what's available for it. And when things aren't available like they expect, an incredible fear, anger rises up. If they have a relationship with God, they are the first one to say, God, how dare you? They will identify this as a crisis of faith because I'm used to having these things when I want to have them. Because let's face it, we have a lot of things when we want to have them all the time. That in itself is not bad, but it is a reactive way of living. What God is saying, I want you to live out of the generosity of my son, which is a proactive way of living. He said there's a distinct difference between that plant and there's another plant that actively seeks out nourishment in places that you cannot even see. It says it's like the roots that goes to underground streams. 
that even when the heat comes, when a season of drought comes, when a pandemic comes, when all the things we went to comes, you still are able to thrive because you're proactively seeking for that which gives you nourishment. And how often we drift into thinking one thing is nourishing when it's really an entirely different thing. The psalmist writes it very clearly as well in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. He is like a a tree planted next to a stream. As we look back even over the past couple of years, we probably have a pretty good assessment of who, this is maybe who I wish I was. A great place of wisdom and perspective is who do I want to be moving forward? This moves me. It's deep. Why? Because I so often will see people like, how did they do that? How do I become like them? There's some kind of thing coming out of them. It doesn't just happen, my friends. I wish it did. But there's something about tapping in to the same generosity of Christ and us being as generous as Christ. And there's something proactive to be pursued. This tree had an underground water source. This tree reached out to some kind of connection along its way. It didn't push the source away because it disagreed. It just hung on even more. When the heat comes, when the drought comes, when trials come your way, It doesn't say, God, where are you? It says, God, I do not understand. Help me in my unbelief, and I'm going to link on even more. The enemy says, you need to be strong enough to do this yourself. I think the word that keeps coming to mind when we talk about being connected to a life source is really a life of resiliency, isn't it? There are some that are great in short bursts, But then there's the resilient folks that no matter what comes their way, doesn't mean they're always great, but they have the ability to keep moving forward. Resilience comes from being connected to that which doesn't always seem, it's not always seen, but there's something different going on. Resilient people's mindset is inspired by a bigger picture of life. What are the options? What are all the things? Who has poured into me? Something upstream that we talked about last week. And resilient people run alongside other resilient people. Resilience needs other people. I don't know how my daughter did this. She ran a marathon last year. My daughter's amazing to me. I mean, I'm biased, I'm her dad. And she's amazing. During the pandemic, she came home from college, got kicked out of her dorm, and she goes, I'm going to start running. We're like, good luck with that. I think I've ran 10 miles total in my life. That's why I played sports that were very short. You know, like, five-yard run for me in football was like, nice job, Dale. You know, I'm like, I'm tired. She decided to run. And she got... We kept running and running and running, and, and, and all of a sudden she goes, I did a half marathon. We're like, oh my gosh, how did you do a half marathon? Well, sometime later, she goes, Mom and Dad, I signed up for a marathon. 
And we're like, we're so proud of you for signing up. I mean, in my head, I was kind of like, she signed up. I mean, that's nine-tenths of the battle. And then, as young people do, and some older people, she started promoting it on Instagram. I'm like, dear Lord, don't tell anybody you're doing this, because then you actually have to do it. She's like, Dad, I'm telling people I'm doing it, so that I will do it. I'm like, whoa. The day of the, of the race, it's not really a race. It's more of like sheer pain and endurance. <laughs> we were at church, and so I'm following her on her phone through this track. You know, and she calls us on FaceTime, and I'm like, stop talking, you might run into something. <laughs> but one of the things that she did early on, this is not abnormal for her, she met people. I'm like, just run. No, I have to talk to people along the way, Dad. It's kind of rude if I don't. <laughs> so she met someone before the race, and they decided to run together. They had the same goal, the same purpose. Because if you're running with somebody, you may forget what, you know, how hard something is sometimes, and you can encourage each other along the way. She hit like mile 22, and apparently at 20, mile 22, like you're just delirious. Like she didn't know where she was. I'm like, you should have recorded yourself. It's like a kid on the way home from like getting his wisdom teeth pulled. It's that kind of crazy. I think she actually called us on FaceTime, and she was like, I'm like, you either are slain in the spirit, speaking in tongues, or you're at mile 22, one of the two. It could have been both. So her boyfriend and fiance now, who wasn't quite the runner, had a scooter. So he decides to get on a scooter as she's running. I'm like, you are a lazy boy. <laughs> and incredibly smart. Eventually he got kicked off the track, like no scooters on the track. But there was something that he said to her, like, if you stop now, you're the one who's going to pay the price. You're the one who's going to go, why did I stop? I don't know what those final miles were like. She goes, Dad, it hurt more to walk than it did to run. So I just kept going. And then, of course, there's video footage of the last 200 feet where she's like sprinting. And everyone's like, but she did it. I'm like, ah. But if you're a runner, you know that there's times we just need other people that are doing it with us. And they're not giving up. And you're not giving up. And there's this resiliency that goes in before, with each other. But we have to see the things. Because the big picture of life, the resilient kind of person, doesn't just put people in boxes. Doesn't just stop. Because if we were to put people in boxes, we would put God in a box. What do, why do I even deserve God to show me some generosity? I've put people in boxes sometimes, according to the news network that I might watch, what kind of church they go to, where they live, what kind of interests and hobbies, their backgrounds, their age, what they think about masks, vaccines. We put people in boxes all the time. But then you discover that someone who you have in one box, and you realize that box doesn't fit them. And you realize how your life would be a little less full without that person in your life. And you've just placed them there. And you've let them sit there. And yet we're told to have the mindset of Christ who did not regard Morphetheo being fully God as something that wasn't worth letting go for them. 
The mindset of Christ means the generosity of Christ that gave all he had for us. And then we're asked to do the same. Boxes don't allow us to do that. Boxes might help protect our disagreements for the moment, but it is the antithesis and is fully against have this mindset that was also in Christ Jesus. It's boxless. It takes people out of it. I had a friend I had in a box for a long time. But when I myself was going through a crisis of my health, there was a season he was the only one for a second stopped, looked at me in the eyes, said, how are you really doing? But then he said, if you're not doing well, I'll find someone who actually likes you and they can help you out in his joking sort of way. But for so long I had him in a box, but he really meant, how are you doing? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're called to do. Ken Geyer, in his book, The Reflective Life, says this. There's a way of living that prepares your heart so that something of eternal significance can be planted there. Something that really matters. In order for me to choose to change, like Christ chose to change, I needed to discover where the change was needed. I don't know how you end your weeks, but I found myself just kind of being exhausted and just like, okay, if I just rest, then next week will be better. I found myself just rolling week to week to week to week. Then I started asking myself, like, I want to know how I'm really doing. I started asking myself the same questions after every week. I just started to compare them. I asked myself, who, what gave me life this week? What did I enjoy? What took life away from me this week? What was not enjoyable at all? What did I do well this week? What did I not do well this week? Who encouraged me this week? What did, who did I encourage this week? And then if people saw what I did in private, would they trust me more or less? And after about seven or eight weeks, I started to see my answers, and I started to see patterns, and I started to see God wants me to work on that. Not in a guilt-shame sort of way, but it's just paying attention. It's tired of drifting. You know, we're directed to have the kind of mindset that after considering the facts, we choose the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is generous, it's resilient, and enduring. So are you considering the facts? What are the facts of your life? What are the facts that are right in front of you? And the way of Jesus is generous, it's resilient, and it's enduring. We're going into a time that will become my heart for you. It will be like, this is almost why I come to church. The time to respond. And in case you haven't been with us the past few weeks, I grew up going to church. So I'm going to say some of the same things over and over, but okay. 
I grew up going to church that those who responded were those who were like far from God and we hoped they came forward to make things right and all the people who had a relationship with God just sat still. That's not what we're going to do. All of us are gonna respond in some way. I want us to respond by hearing what God might be saying. We're gonna take a few moments of listening to God together. We're also gonna worship in song, and as that is happening, we're gonna come and receive communion. So often communion has been something we just take. It's kind of like on my time, on my thing. I believe scripture is really clear that Jesus broke, blessed, he gave, the disciples received. That Jesus poured his life out for us to receive. A generous act is something we receive. The opposite of receiving a generous act is entitlement. How dangerous and scary it would be that if we were entitled, that we felt like we look at God like, I'm entitled to this, God. That is a posture that we cannot take and should not take. These are all kind of a spiritual discipline. And as Henry Nouwen wrote, a spiritual discipline is something that creates space in our life. But it's not just space for space's sake, it's space for Christ. Points us in the Jesus way. So we're gonna start together. And this could just be a moment, your quietest moment of your week. But for many of us, I just want us to be quiet before God. I have found it to be very helpful to take a posture of receiving before God and saying, what do you have for me? It is not normal for me to do this. I mean, in fact, when someone first said, take a posture of receiving, I kind of did this, and then I took like a kind of did this. Whatever posture you want to take, I have no problem doing this before God now because I'm like, I want all of it. Whatever you got. Let's quiet our hearts before God. I just want you to listen to him. What might he be saying with you this morning? I want to help start any conversation that God wants to have with you this week right now. Just listen to your breath for a few minutes. He gave you the breath. He gave you life. Just be aware of the silence around you. Maybe be aware of those who are around you. Take some time just to thank Jesus. Thank him for considering and then intentionally choosing to come for you. Thank him for his generosity. His generosity for you. Let me ask God to bring to mind something that you're hanging on to. Something that seems too difficult. You're considering things and you're hanging on. And it's really okay to let go. That thing is actually hurting you. Maybe it's something just because it's convenient. Ask him, how do I let go of this, God? You ask him, is there something you want me to choose to change? How can I practice the way of Jesus this week? What are you asking me just to choose to be different about, God?
and just spend a few minutes just thanking him. Father, let's join the angels around your throne right now, Father, and sing, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. And Jesus, thank you for not regarding that just hanging on as something to just be held on to, but you, but you let go that the generosity of who you are, that even though you knew what was about to happen, you still did it for us. So in that mind, Father, I praise you. Jesus, I thank you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that we have the courage to follow you well this week. I pray your blessing upon each and every person here, uh, that your truth would be known, and God, speak to their hearts so clearly right now. Affirm them that they know that they are loved by you, chosen by you, died, that you died for them, and that you rose again. Help us. Help us, Father, in unbelief, but help us to be that person you have called us to be. We love you. We thank you in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for... I'll give you something. There we go. That's even the best part right there. I thank you for being here today. I, I do want to meet you if I can get out there. If I haven't, if I already know you, haven't said hi yet, I'd love to do that. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you as well. But we have time. God bless you. Have a great, great day.